0: I think baptism, guys, is a huge, huge component for you to publicly display to your family that you are serving Jesus. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood men in the arena it's equipping men in 10 our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood call you out of the faceless nameless bleachers and call you up to be the best version of you because when a man gets it everyone wins enjoy today's episode men in the arena army we salute you hey guys thanks for listening to another episode of the men arena podcast this is equipping men in 10 although it'll be about 25. I'm Jim Ramos, your host for today's show. Guys, thanks for making the Men in the Arena podcast. Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. Guys, today's going to be a little bit different. I want to speak to you about a topic that is problematic for guys. In fact, when I talk to guys on this topic, they just kind of go blank. And so I'm going to start off uh, with a story. Uh, This is a couple of my buddies years ago. This is before cell phones had... um, GPS units uh, on them, and my buddies had uh, killed a nice big bull elk archery hunting, and they pa- they're packing this elk out, and it's a snowstorm, and while they're packing this elk out, they've got their GPS, and the GPS is back then were these handheld devices, and you'd stare at them, and and you'd follow them, so they're using this GPS in a snowstorm, they're navigating out of the hills, and they're walking for about an hour, and they come across two sets of footprints. And they're going, well, who the heck is out here in a snowstorm? What is going on? Why would there be other guys out here? They started looking at these boot, boot prints, and they realized, oh, man, these are our boot prints. They'd been walking in circles because the GPS during the snowstorm was not able to get a clear signal, and it caused those guys to walk around in circles. And when I think of men and one word, just one word, when I think of men who hear this one word... It causes them to get all disconfabulated. They start walking in circles. They lose their bearings because this one word in the Bible gives us so much trouble. And I want to talk to you about this one word. Uh, We want to bring clarity. In fact, when the Bible actually addresses this one word, it actually gives a very clear picture about this word. And so I want to help guys who are confused. Maybe you're confused because your pastor's painting a picture of this one word that's not even how they're living their lives. Maybe this one word, uh, you're being told you're supposed to live according to this one word a certain way, and you're realizing maybe it's not biblical. Maybe you're reading books about this one word, and you're going, man, I don't know if I believe this stuff. I don't know if this is even in in the Bible, if this is even true. But this one word... Paralyzes men when we're called to initiate our lives according to this one word, this mantle that God has placed on our shoulders. That one word is leader. It's been confusing men for 2,000 years, but you know, it's really interesting when you look at the pastoral epistles you have 20 qualifications of a spiritual leader, and Paul spends more time on this one word than any other word in the 20. So I want to walk you through this, and this might be a great time for you to pull over in your car and just pull out your phone, uh, get into your uh, Bible app, and walk through this with me. But I'm going to be looking in two passages today, 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5, and Titus chapter 1, verse 6. Again, these are where Paul gathered his 20 qualifications and speaks of those to Timothy. These are beautiful uh, ways for a guy to figure out how to live at full capacity. In fact, I've got a book coming out, The Full Capacity Man, in June of 23 that's going to unpack all this stuff for you. I'm really, really excited about this book, guys. So here's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. It says, he, the leader, the man, must be one who manages his own household well. Now what you're going to realize, guys, when we're talking about leadership according to the Bible... So a lot of guys will call this spiritual leadership. What you're going to learn, you might be a little shocked here to realize that two of the three skills that Paul addresses are more about being a fully engaged family man than about being a spiritual man. So I could give this message to people who don't believe in Jesus and two out of the three they'd probably agree with. So I want you to stop and chew on that for a second. There is a very practical component to being a leader. I see guys all the time who are great family leaders, and these guys aren't even Christians. They don't believe in Jesus, but they're just great family leaders. And so there are uh, truths in this world that can function. I think that truth can function outside of the Bible and still be true. You may say, well, I can't believe you're saying that. Well, two plus two is four. Right? That's not in the Bible. So truth is truth. So when it comes to being a leader, there are certain truths that we can address and live by, even though they may not seem spiritual. So this guy is a fully engaged family man. In other words, the Bible says he, quote, manages his household well. And here's what I want to say, because guys, I know what you're thinking. Well, man, I I have a good job. My kids have a good house. I pay for all their participation trophies. I mean, these guys, I'm taking care of these kids. Well, I want to say this, guys. Your role as leader is much bigger than the tangible things you provide. In fact, most of the people I, well, almost everybody I talk to who has uh, daddy wounds or they've been jacked up by their dad, it has nothing to do with the tangible things he provided and everything to do with the intangible things he neglected. So, the word here that Paul uses for manages, so this is a, a very important word. It's the Greek word prostomai. P R O I S T E M I. Prostomai. Maybe it's prostomai, but that's like saying toy boat. I just can't say the word. Proistomai. It, it means that his managerial responsibilities not only included uh, his immediate family, but all those. In his home and under his roof, including adult children and his own parents, so to manage his household meant any, and sometimes it meant business partners. Sometimes it meant people who are uh, bond servants, who are who are who have chosen to live as his servant. It could be uh, much more than just the extended family, but within the household, he manages it well. And here's what prostomai means. It means three things. It means to present, protect. It means to preside, and it means to provide. In other words, he protects. He's a wall around those he loves. He presides. He's he he's the roof. You hear Dad say this all the time. I've got a roof. You got a roof over your head, don't you? So he presides over the the intangible components of his household. He protects them. He builds a wall around his lo- lo- those he loves, and he provides for them. I think of rooms, a place for them to sleep. He provides. Not only a tangible place, but he provides intangibles. He provides love, affection, affirmation. He provides uh, spiritual leadership. He provides much more than what we physically think about. Now think about these three things. Protects, provides, and presides. And guys, don't be deceived into thinking that this is physical walls around your house, a roof over your head, or food on the table. Again, guys, your job is much bigger than tangibles. The prost my man is there to protect the hearts, spirits, and souls of those he loves, presides over their beliefs, their relationships, and their choices. He provides unconditional love, acceptance, and value. So guys, we need to be really clear on this. This is what it means. This is what this word manages means. When you manage your household. So practically speaking, we would call this... The ability to protect, provide, and preside over. But it cannot stop there, guys, as a leader. In fact, Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to the second component of the leader in First Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Look at verse 4. It says, keeping his children, that's a key word, guys. Circle the word children. We're going to come back to that. Keeping his children under control with all dignity. Verse 5. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of of the church of God. So guys, to be this full capacity man, to be this this leader, this leader over your home, to deal with that one word, we need to keep our children under control with all dignity. Now the first passage, uh, the first part of this manages Jesus' household, that dealt with everybody within the household. Now we're getting very specific about children and you're not going to believe how specific we get here. So these children may not be perfect children, but they're disciplined in love according to the standards taught in the word of God. They are compelled to live under your household rules. That's very important. Frederick Douglass once said, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And I couldn't agree more. I believe, guys, that the word of God clearly teaches that if your children are under your roof, now listen to me, if they are under your roof, they are under your authority and your responsibility. So I've had guys, I, I, I was at a friend's house one day, and I see this marijuana cigarette box. Like I guess they make boxes for marijuana now, like it's a regular cigarette. And I, I questioned what happened, and he said, well, she's an adult. She can do what she wants. And I thought, well, he's li- she's living under your house, rent-free. You're paying for all of her food and everything, So she's living in your house, but she's not living in your house as an adult. She's living under your house as a child. And so she's under your authority, and you can lose, uh, you know, I mean, this is not a good thing, guy, type of thing. So let me explain here, guys. Let me help you with this. There are four words in the Bible for child in the Greek language. There is nepios, which is an infant. Then there's paideon, which is a, a toddler to a Pre-teen, it's, uh, I've, I've read that this is where George Lucas got the term pad one learner for the Jedi tra- in training. Then there's Technon. So just because of the T-E and Technon, just think teenager. This is a teenager. And then the Huios, H-U-I-O-S. This is a fully matured son or daughter. So this would be, you know, I threw a birthday party for my dad this weekend. He turned 80. I am his Huios. I am his fully mature son. F- interacting with him as a fully adult, fully engaged adult. So that's what chios means. So here, when Paul says, keeping his children under control with all dignity, the word he uses is technon, which is a word, which is basically a teenager. So it's saying is during these teen years that we have our children under control in our household. You know, I had a situation uh, many, many years ago now where one of my kids was acting up. I got called into the office by the senior pastor. I was working at the church and, and he explained what my son had done in Sunday school, and he said, "Now the rest is up to you." He said, "I'll never fire you for what your children do. I will fire you for how you react to it." And so we reacted very appropriately. <laughs> I've never had a problem. So this is what we're talking about. The technon is—we're uh, not talking about a little child, or we're not talking about an infant. We're talking about a, a teenager, or we're talking about. A, chi- a person, a child under your roof, because they're under your household and they're under your household rules. So, technon describes two things here. It describes the chronological dependence, so it, uh, like I said, a preteen to teenager, or strategic dependence, which is a child living under the authority of your household regardless of their age. Let's say you've got a, let's say you're a sixty-five-year-old man and you've got a forty-year-old son who's got a drug addiction. He went to jail, and he's out of jail, and he needs a place to stay, so he moves into your house. He is under your house rules, period, because he's coming into you, into your household, under your authority. Essentially, he's taking on the role of a technon. He's, he's taking on the role of a man who is not fully matured. So he's not a weos. He's not sucking his thumb and, and nursing on mom's breast. He's not a nepios. He's not a, a pideon. He's not crawling around, you know, trying to spit out his first two or three words. He's acting as a technon in your home and he comes under or she your authority. So ultimately, but ultimately, so those are the first two things. And if you notice, guys, both of these two things aren't spiritual. <laughs> They have nothing to do with anything spiritual. They're just saying, guys, here's what a good leader does to lead his family. But ultimately, it's not the compelling of your children to comply with your household rules that matter most. What matters most to God, and to Paul as well here as we see uh, in this passage, is creating an environment while they are in your home where they will believe and surrender their lives to Jesus and Take your God as their God. Look at Titus chapter one verse 6. And I think this is the grand finale. Those first two things are great, but if we re- raise kids who are great adults and great citizens but don't love Jesus, maybe they have mental assent or cognitive assent, they agree with what we believe. Um, but if they aren't actively serving Jesus, we've just raised functional atheists. And the goal for us as the leader, of a Christ- as a Christian leader, is to ha- raise godly children. You know, it's funny, I tell my kids all the time, my kids are in their late to mid-20s now. I don't care if you're flipping burgers at McDonald's. I don't care if you're dumping the garbage for the garbage company. I don't care if you're the president of the United States. If you don't love Jesus, you have not represented your family well. And I know that's a harsh statement, but I want them to know what the expectation is in our, my family. Joshua, in Joshua twenty four fifteen b said, as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. And that's what the, the leader says. Robert Fulgham said something a little alarming. He said, don't worry that your children ever listen to you. Worry that they are always watching you. And uh, I think it was uh, the football great coach Chuck Knoll said, what you do speak so loudly it drowns out or I can't hear what you say. So one of the things I want to talk about, guys, is our children are watching us. So they're not watching us on Sunday mornings when we're giving God our best. They're watching us throughout the week. And so my question to you is, are you setting the kind of example that will make your children want to fall in love with Jesus? And one of the things I want to talk about, guys, is this. And I hope I get guys from all over the country reaching out to me because of what I'm going to say. You know, you're a follower of Jesus, but have you been baptized? Have you publicly demonstrated what God is doing in your heart? You know, I just did a class last night for a couple of dudes. and These guys are uh, pushing 40. And these guys have been Christians quite a while, and they're just now deciding to get baptized. And it's going to rock their world. I, I think that the one this one man, I think that when he gets baptized, his wife and kids are going to get baptized with him. None of them have been baptized because he's never taken that commitment. So, guys, I just want to say this, man. People are watching you. Your, your kids are watching as the offering basket goes by at church. Your kids are watching as you sleep in and watch football instead of church. Your kids are watching as you flip off the guy who passes you Uh, and cut you off. They're watching as you badmouth the guy holding the sign that will work for food. Your kids are watching you. So I would ask you as the leader to be an example they want to follow so they will give their lives to Jesus. And this is what I'm talking about. You know, we're talking about baptism here. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan River, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have I have a need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? But Jesus answered him, But for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was baptized. Wow. Our Savior is baptized. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so we too might walk in the newness of life. So when I get baptized, it's a symbol of me dying to my old life and living for Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Behold, if or therefore, if you're... <laughs> depending on your Bible translation, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so I think baptism, guys, is a huge, huge component for you to publicly display to your family that you are serving Jesus. Because here's the deal, guys the stakes are high. When we looked at that word prostamai, we're talking about presiding, protecting, and providing. So those things are great, but remember, these are we're talking intangibles here. We're talking about the intangible things that matter because here's why, guys. The stakes could never be so high. The stakes are about forever. Forever is at stake. I don't know if you know this, but when you read the Bible carefully, especially in the Old Testament, you'll see at least on two occasions where a king came in and took over the land and came and killed all of the previous king's children. And the reason they did that was they wanted to completely destroy, to decimate, to demolish that guy's lineage so there could never be a king from that man's line to rule or come against the new bloodline. And you know, I think that's really interesting because in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Guys, it's so important you understand that Satan's plan for you is that you are the last person in your lineage to be in heaven, that your last name, that the name Ramos, is the last Ramos ever in heaven ever again. That is his plan. He wants to wipe you out. The stakes are so high, and God has called you to be the leader. So guys, I hope this helps you. I hope it draws you into the space of leadership. I hope it brings clarity to you about what it means to be the leader that God has called you to be. So guys, make sure you head on over to arena.org, Grab your free copy of Tell Them What Great Fathers tell their sons and daughters. Also, click on our Join the Program button. Get involved with in one of our international virtual teams. Guys, this is so important for your growth as a man and as your growth as a leader. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench about battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and... Everyone wins.